Hey, welcome to the Fusion ATL podcast. This is Pastor Vance. If you're not familiar with Fusion, we are the young adult ministry for Victory World Church in Norcross, Georgia. We meet every Tuesday at 7 p.m. Feel free to follow us on Instagram at Fusion ATL. I hope you enjoy this message and we look forward to seeing you soon. What's up? How you guys feeling? I need some energy. You know it. How are you feeling? There we go. Anybody have a good weekend? There we go. Can we make some noise one more time for the people who got baptized tonight? Shout out. That is a huge deal. People giving their lives to Jesus, making a public declaration of their faith. That is, I'm just so proud of you guys. I'm so happy about it. Are you guys enjoying this new series? You guys remember what last week's message was about? Trust the process. Yes, we are in this new series. We got a new bumper for it and everything, new little video. (laughs) Under construction means a a structure, a building, or a project that is unfinished, but is actively being worked on. And that's what we're talking about. Your life is under construction. A lot of times we want our life to be the finished product. A lot of times we're looking for the mansion version of our lives, the finished product with the pool and the jacuzzi, and we talked about that last week, that we think our life is supposed to look like that, and we're trying to compete for our lives to look like that, when in reality, your life looks a lot more like this. It looks like a construction site, but that's a good thing. How many of you guys know that's a good thing? Say it. Say that's a good thing. thing. Say it like you believe it. That's a good thing. thing. Yes. Your life being under construction is an amazing thing. Because the builder who's working on your life is the perfect builder. We talked about how Jesus came in his earthly profession. He was a builder. Some people call it a carpenter. That Greek word used there was tekton. It could mean stonemason. It's more likely that it meant stonemason. So when he was talking about building your house on the rock, he knew a little bit about rocks. Okay, Jesus. He's a builder. And he takes on endeavors. Creation, you notice he, he built it, speaking things into existence, starting with the light, the heavens, the earth, all these things. He calls the grass to grow up out of the ground, the trees, birds, fish to swim, all this stuff. But it was a process. Even the creation of the universe was a process. And your life is a process because he's a God of process. And you have to trust the process. If you trust the builder, you'll trust the process. Amen? If you trust who's building your life, the same God who created the heavens and the earth, the same God who sustains all of this, the same God who keeps us spinning in the middle of space, is the same God who created you, who formed you in your mother's womb, who knew you before he created you, had a plan set out for your life before time began. And that plan included a process. You know, you can't even become an adult, a full-grown adult, without starting as a baby. There's a process throughout life, and even God himself did not come down here as a full-grown adult. Isn't that amazing? When Jesus decided to enter our existence, he didn't just step out of heaven as grown Jesus. 
He came through as baby Jesus first. He started out small because he trusted the process. The father has a process that nobody skips, that nothing in existence skips. Every living creature has to start small and grow. Every living thing, plants, everything has to start small and grow. There's a process. Can you say trust the process? One more time, trust the process. There we go. Now, tonight, tonight, we're talking about what the purpose of the process is, what the goal of the process is. Because when, when, when a project is being undertaken, there has to be a goal. Don't you want to know where your life is going? That's the biggest question that we have. Why am I here? Where am I going? Where did I come from? Where am I going? That's what we all want to know. You guys know that Jesus said it? You guys believe that Jesus told us what the process is leading towards? I want us to look at 2 Corinthians tonight. If you have your iPhone Bibles, <laughs> or if you really, 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 really saved, if you have your real Bible, okay. I'm not playing the iPhone Bible. You see, I'm on the iPad. I respect it. But if somebody brought the paper through, the paper Bible, I see you. I see you. I, I feel you. Mine's at home, too. I got a couple of them. It's okay. We went for the portable, more portable version tonight. I feel you. If you have that, turn to 2 Corinthians 3, 18. I'm going to read from the Passion Translation. The Passion Translation. There's a little, I'm not reading from the King James tonight. You know, I'm reading from the Passion Translation tonight. 2 Corinthians 3.18, we can all draw close to him with the veil removed from our faces. And with no veil, we all become like mirrors who brightly reflect the glory of the Lord Jesus. We are being transfigured into his very image as we move from one brighter level of glory to another. And this glorious transfiguration comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. So in this passage of scripture, I read it from the Passion Translation. Do you guys want to know why I read it from the Passion Translation? I'm not just winging it. I actually looked up the original Greek and then I looked at the English translations and I wanted to go with the one that I felt like best reflected for y'all, what it's saying. Because one of the translations said that we brightly, we contemplate the glory of God, but the Greek word used there actually meant reflect like a mirror. So that's why I use this, just so you guys know. And that's what you should do in your study time as well, so that you understand it. So in this passage of scripture, Paul is talking to the Corinthians about the new covenant. Now, a covenant is an agreement. It's what Jesus came to establish. We have a new agreement with God through what Jesus did. But in the Old Testament, which means old covenant, old agreement, God bless you. God spoke to Moses and gave him the law for all of the Israelites. And when Moses was up on the mountain talking to the Lord, when he came back down, 
his face was glowing with the glory of God. So much that the Israelites were scared and didn't want to come near him or talk to him. And so he put a veil over his face. And then he would go back, when he went back into the presence of God to talk to the Lord, he would take the veil off. And so Paul is saying, we can all draw close to God with the veil removed from our faces. There was a difference between Moses and the Israelites in that Moses knew God. Moses drew close to God, took the veil off of his face. There was nothing separating them. And the Israelites were content to just hear what God was saying through Moses. And they were, they were scared of the glory that was shining off of Moses' face. They were scared to go into the presence. And so what he's giving is this picture of like the Israelites being very much like us and a lot of times we'll settle for a lesser version of relationship with God. And Paul is saying, do you know what Jesus did? That Jesus came? So like Moses, you can go into the presence of God with no veil over your face, with nothing in between you. You can have true relationship, true intimacy from God. You, you, with God, you can hear from God directly because of what Jesus did. And then he goes into what happens in us as we're meeting with God. He says, we are being transfigured or transformed into his very image. So as we get close to God, as we have relationship with God, the goal is for him to transform us to look like him. And so as your life is under construction, the goal of the construction site that is your life is to build an image of God, a reflection of God. It says that we can brightly reflect the glory of the Lord Jesus so we can go into the presence of God and we can come out shining. We can reflect the glory of the Lord through being in his presence and his transforming process that takes place in us. So I would submit to you today that the, the goal of God being in relationship with you, the goal of what God is trying to build in your life is not just to bring you to a certain career. It is not just to give you a certain level of success. It is not just for impact or for influence. It's actually to make you look like him. We need to know that. We have to know that. We have to know what the goal is or else you will be perplexed by the process. Why is all this happening to me? Why am I dealing with all this stuff? Why does my life look like this? Well, maybe it's because God doesn't necessarily want for your life to look like what you've imagined based on what people told you your life should look like, but he actually wants you to look like him. He wants you to look like him. This has actually been the plan from the beginning. The title of tonight's message is In His Image. And so God is actively working in you until you are a direct reflection of Christ. Wanted to make sure we get that so you guys can write that down. You know where we're going. If you get nothing else tonight, I need you to know that. That God is actively working in you until you are a direct reflection of Christ. What I was saying is this has been his goal since the very, very beginning. In Genesis 1.26, God says, let us, 
Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness. And so the goal of creation, the goal of creating mankind was to be a reflection of God. I was reading a book called Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis, and he gives the comparison of the state of life that we can be in. He compares it to without relationship with Jesus, we're merely statues of God instead of sons of God. And Jesus came so that we could be sons of God, the son of God who's been in relationship, this relationship, this coexistence has been taking place for all of eternity before the world was created, before the heavens and the earth. God has always existed in this relationship. That's why it says God is love and love can only exist in relationship. How can you love if there's nobody to love? So you have this triune God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and love is existing in this relationship, and the Son and the Father have a relationship that's been existing for all of eternity, and then God creates us in his image, in his likeness, to be his children And our relationship to the Father is to be like the Son is to the Father. So Jesus Christ steps into the scene. The Son of God leaves heaven to model for us what sonship is. He left heaven, took on flesh to model for us because we didn't know what it looked like. We were the Israelites, scared of the presence of God, not knowing him. Jesus came to model what sonship looks like. But the process to this might not look like what you think it does. How does God's construction process work? Well, I want to look at James 1, 2 through 4. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything, the finished product. The finished product is for you to be mature and complete, not lacking anything. How? By letting perseverance finish its work. How? By facing trials of many kinds. Consider it pure joy. How can you consider it joy to face a trial? It's because you trust the process. You consider it joy when you know this is the processing. This is not just my misfortune. This is the processing of God. When we look at Jesus' life, he allowed the Father to process him. God's building process comes in the form of trials of many kinds. But consider it joy. God is with you. God is for you. God has the best intentions for you. God has purpose for you. But God wants perseverance for you. And perseverance, when it finishes its work, will make you mature and complete, not lacking anything. If anybody was mature and complete, not lacking anything, it was Jesus. But Jesus was misunderstood and mistreated on a regular basis. 
Jesus was not treated with honor in his own hometown. Jesus' own family, his own brothers and sisters didn't believe who he was. They thought he was trying to be a celebrity. For real. Festival's happening and his brothers are like, yo, aren't you trying to be somebody famous? You should be out at the festival. You should be out here networking. He's like, yeah, y'all don't get it. It's not what I'm here for. Jesus' ministry, much of it was financed by the women who followed him. Jesus was homeless. He said, foxes have holes, birds have nests, but the son of man, Jesus himself, has nowhere to lay his head. In 1 Peter 2, Peter says of Jesus, Peter who walked with Jesus said, when they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. Jesus trusted the process. Jesus knew that God's will for his life was not just for his earthly life to be a picnic, but for his life to be productive. Now, God has great things in store for you. God has amazing things in store for you. He says, eyes have not seen, ears have not heard, nor has it been imagined in the mind of man the things that God has in store for those who love him. He said he's working all things together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. But what is he working together for the good? Everything, including your trials of many kinds. Of many kinds. So trials come in all shapes and forms. They happen all the time. You can start to see your life as a series of trials and tests. And you can consider it pure joy when you wake up in the morning and you're tired. You don't want to get out of bed. How do you respond? As <laughs> they're going back to sleep. <laughs> How do you respond? How do you prioritize your day? How do you schedule your day when you're busy, when, you, when you're tired and when you get up and you get ready and you're already kind of upset because you wanted to be sleeping longer and you're already feeling like the day is like not off to a great start. You get in the car and it's traffic. And then you got people cutting you off, acting crazy. How do you respond? See, these trials aren't just in the form of tragedy in your life or, or big stuff, but there are trials and tests of many kinds that God will walk with you through as he's processing you to be like him. Jesus came to reflect what it truly means to be a son of God, to be walking in his image and in his likeness. We are to be living, breathing, thinking, speaking images of the Father, of the God who created you. That was the purpose. A tree has to start as a seed. A tree has to start as a seed. A tree has a process. It starts out dark, covered in dirt, as a little baby seed. 
It has to be watered, sun beaten down on it, cultivated by what can feel like flooding and the heat of the sun that can feel like scorching. And it first starts having to grow underneath the surface. The roots are what start growing first underneath the surface. Before anybody can see anything, a foundation is being laid for the tree because it's a seed when it starts, but the goal is for it to be a tree and it has to have the proper foundation to actually hold the tree that's gonna come. And so for you, God brings you through a process to build a root system, a foundation has to be laid in order for him to build a Christ-like life on top of it. And so the roots have to grow and go down. And at a certain point, that seed as it's being cultivated starts growing and can finally break through the surface. But it still has a long process of growing deeper and further above the surface. And so the roots are constantly growing. The foundation is constantly expanding as the tree is expanding above the surface. And it has a long process of life ahead of it to finally bear fruit. And then when it finally bears fruit, it'll spend an entire lifetime growing in size and bearing more and more fruit. There's a process. Each and every one of us have to go through a process. You have to go through the process, and it's not your misfortune. It's the purpose of God. It's the call of God over your life. It has to be cultivated because God is a God of process, and you have to trust the process. But the goal of the process is for you to look like him. And so that's what your processing is purposed for. That's why the trials that you face test the virtues on the inside of you. Your honesty, your integrity, your patience, your kindness. Those are the trials that you're facing because God is trying to produce an image of himself. The epitome of kindness, of love. God is love. And he's trying to cultivate love in you to a level that you never even thought was necessary. Not just more than expected, but he wants to give you levels of patience, levels of kindness, levels of grace that you never even thought were necessary. That's what he's trying to process in you. This is the process of every disciple because the purpose is for us to, uh, to, for us to bear fruit. Jesus says in Luke 13, 6, says Jesus told this parable. A man had a fig tree growing in his vineyard, and he went out to look for fruit on it, but didn't find any. So a man owns a vineyard. There's a fig tree in there. And he goes out looking for fruit on it because it's a fig tree, so he's looking for the figs, doesn't find any on it. So he said to the man who took care of the vineyard, for three years now, I've been coming to look for fruit on this fig tree and haven't found any. Cut it down. Why should it use up the soil? Why should it use up the resources? Why should it use up the space if it's not doing what it was purposed to do? Sir, the man replied, leave it alone for one more year and I'll dig around and fertilize it. If it bears fruit next year, fine. If not, 
then cut it now. Jesus is the man who took care of the vineyard, who interceded on your behalf in your life that was not bearing fruit, in your life that did not reflect him. Jesus intervened on your behalf and said, let me dig around. Let me fertilize it and get it to bear fruit. So Jesus steps into your life when you allow him to dig around in those dark areas and start getting all the stuff that's not supposed to be there up out of there. How does he do that? Trials of many kinds. To produce perseverance in you, which is, some of, which is ultimately going to lead to you being mature and complete, a tree that's bearing fruit, not lacking anything, doing what it was purposed to do, but he has to dig around in some areas that you may not have even thought were problematic. You may have felt like, hey, I'm a pretty kind person. Until they did this. And then anybody would not be kind in this circumstance. And Jesus is like, I would. What did I do when they were crucifying me? When they hurled their insults at him, he didn't retaliate. He entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He said, forgive them. Father, they don't even know what they're doing. How often do you do that when people offend you? Because it's not easy. It's not. Man, you guys know uh, Pastor TJ, who's the pastor of Fusion at VHM? Man, I was on the phone with this dude one time, and he was driving, and it just seemed like some type of commotion happened, and he said, oh, 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 man. Oh, man, God bless them, man. They driving crazy. Man, God bless them. Thank you, Father, for your protection. I'm like, boy, you really saved. Praying for them for driving crazy. But that's the type of perspective that God wants to give us. That's the perspective that he has. You're just looking at everything that offends you so many times. Do you ever think about what's going on with that person and have compassion to say, God, they don't even know what they're doing. Forgive them. Interceding on their behalf to say, God, forgive them. God, help them. We talked about how Paul says, I urge you to pray for all people interceding on their behalf, giving thanks on their behalf. That's what Jesus does. Jesus intervened for your life. Why? For you, not to serve himself. And if we are to be processed, the goal of the process is to make us like him, not like new and improved versions of us. A lot of times, that's what we think that we are coming to God for. God, help me with this so I can get to this level of patience that I feel is appropriate. And what we don't realize is when we, that's why Jesus says to count the cost before you follow him. Because he doesn't just want the new and improved version 
of you. He doesn't want you just cleaned up a little bit. He's going to do an entire reconstruction. He said, I'm going to make you into me. That's my goal for your life. And so we have to trust the process. When we trust the builder, we'll trust the process because the process is to make us like the builder. So I want to talk about two foundational qualities of a Christ-like life. And I say foundational very intentionally. This lays a foundation for a life that looks like Jesus. If the goal of God's process for you is to look like Jesus, these two things will lay a foundation upon which he can build a life that gloriously reflects him. The first thing, we talked about it last week, actually, humility. Humility is a foundational quality. We talked about last week how Jesus humbled himself by becoming obedient, even to the point of death, even death on a cross. Because he trusted the process. And he modeled for us what true relationship with the Father looks like. It says, therefore, God exalted him, gave him the name that's above every name, so that every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that he's Lord. There was exaltation that happened, but it happened through the humility. Jesus humbled himself. Jesus the Son of God, equal with God. Equal but submitted. Many of us are not equal to God but not submitted. I've been there. I'm not just coming at y'all. Many of us are not truly submitted to God. We have this contingency basis this transactional relationship. God, I'll do this if you do this. But what God is doing is already done. The opportunity for you to truly have purpose, for you to be restored to your true purpose, for you to have salvation, forgiveness, is already available for you. The work, the, the work is finished. Now, it's a matter of you stepping into the process of that work being finished and being a reflection of his finished work. God wants you to look like him. But are you humble enough to embark on that journey? Or are we walking with Jesus to get our will done? I had somebody text me just a few nights ago asking, hey, if I made a promise to God and I did it for like a reason, that's wrong, right? It's a younger dude, one of my little bros. I said, man, why are you trying to negotiate with God? And in short, I said, man, the goal of your prayers should not be for God to do your will, but you should be praying that God would help you to do his will. 
because his will is good. Why would God be negotiating with you to get your will done? But that's how we think. It's so narcissistic. I got to have this figured out, right? This is about to be real good. All right, so here's what I'll trade you for it. All right? God created you with a purpose, with a plan for your life. That is good. He created you with a plan that will fulfill you. His plan will fulfill you. Now, humility is the acknowledgement of that. God, you're bigger than me. You're better than me. You're smarter than me. You have this figured out. You're in control. Not my will, but your will be done. So, Lord, I don't even understand why you want me to act like this, why you want me to serve like this, why I got to go through this. But I'm going to trust the process because I trust you as a builder. You have a great track record of building. You have a great track record throughout creation. And so I think that my 30 years of wisdom is probably not comparable to your eternity of wisdom. And so I'm going to humble myself and say, not my will, but your will be done like Jesus did. Jesus said, if you can take this from me, please, I don't want to be crucified. But not my will, but your will be done. I'll trust the process. I'll go through it. Further, the Bible says that God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. You can't fake humility. God knows what's in the heart. But look at that juxtaposition. God will oppose the proud. Not like God doesn't like the proud. God will oppose your pride. God will set himself up in opposition to your pride because he's the builder and he's not gonna share these tools with you. Why? Because that would be to your detriment. His plan is good, yours is not. Can, can we, can I say that? Can we believe that? God's plan is good, yours is not that good. My plan, I love to make plans. I love to strategize. There is a test called the Gallup's Strengths Finder. My brother sent me earlier that he took it, and it'll give you like a snapshot of your strengths in life. One of mine, my number one is futuristic, looking into the future, casting vision, ideation, creating ideas, relater. I love relating to people who are close to me. Number four is strategic. I like mapping out plans. I like figuring out, I see the future, how do we get there? Let's strategize to get there. That's my personality. And I'm saying, God's plans are better than my plans. I've spent a lot of time 
in the past trying to map out plans for my life, and I've seen God oppose my pride. Why? Because it wasn't good for me. If I had full reins of my life, full control of my life, I would have ended up where I was not supposed to be. But God set himself in opposition and put resistance against my pride until I submitted, truly submitted, not fake submitted, not almost submitted, not look like I submitted, not say I submitted, until I actually submitted. And said, God, I'm tired. Not my will, but your will be done. He said, those who humble themselves will be exalted. Those who exalt themselves will be humbled. So you got two options. You're going to be humbled. It's either going to happen through you humbling yourself or God will humble you. News flash for me, I chose the latter option of God humbling me. So I could talk to you about that experience. I was in very close relationship with my pride, had made great friends with it, thought it looked great on me. And God would set himself up in opposition, putting resistance, resistance, roadblock, roadblock, opposing my pride. Those who humble themselves will be exalted. We looked at that parable, uh, the story that Jesus gave last week. He said, if you're invited to a wedding feast, don't take the place of honor. Don't be trying to come up in and be an important person because what happens is somebody more important than you might show up and then you'll have to give up your seat and that'll be embarrassing. Instead, what wisdom is, is for you to come in and no matter how important you are, take the lowest place. That way, somebody can come up to you and say, come take this place of honor. What are you doing over here? In the same way, he said, those who humble themselves will be exalted. Those who exalt themselves will be humbled. And that's the process to make you like him. Why? Because Jesus humbled himself. It doesn't say that God humbled Jesus. Jesus humbled himself, modeled it by taking the lowest position. God himself came and put on human flesh stripping himself of his divinity and of his power and said, I'm submitted and didn't walk in the power until the Holy Spirit descended on him and didn't do miracles unless the Father told him to do it. Submission. He humbled himself and then it says, therefore, he was exalted to the highest place, given the name above every name. Every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Because that's what happens when you humble yourself before God. It says that in due time, he will exalt you. Humble yourself before the Lord and he will lift you up. Peter says, therefore, clothe yourselves in humility toward one another. Clothe yourself in humility before you leave your house, put on some humility. That's how you become like Jesus. He says that he will show favor to the humble. You'll see it in your life. 
you'll see a drastic difference between trying to do things your way and then submitting to God, doing it his way, facing, not saying you won't face trials of many kinds, but you can consider it pure joy when you face trials of many kinds because you know what the purpose of the process is, that God is trying to make me like him. He's not just trying to take me through tough stuff to entertain himself. He's trying to make us like him. He himself stepped into humanity and went through trials of many kinds. But for the joy that was set before him, he submitted to it. The second foundational quality of a Christ-like life is forgiveness. Somebody just said, oh, man. Forgiveness. Our salvation itself is hinged on forgiveness. Jesus humbled himself by becoming obedient, even to the point of death, even death on a cross. Why? So that you could be forgiven. Forgiveness is so huge to God. God wants to forgive you, each and every one of us, by nature, is terrible in comparison to God. That's the reality. And that's a lot of times the problem is we don't think we're all that bad. It's like, I'm a pretty decent guy, all right? Um, so forgiving me shouldn't be all that difficult. <laughs> However, even if you were the only person in existence, Jesus would still have to die the same type of death to pay for your sins as the worst person you could imagine because your sins are much worse than you could ever imagine. But he didn't put you through the punishment that they deserve. God poured out his wrath in full on Jesus. In full. He didn't hold back the wrath was completely poured out on Jesus. That's why Jesus was in the garden of Gethsemane, sweating blood at the grief before going to get crucified, thinking about what is about to happen, the entire cup of the wrath of God that all of our sins deserve, that not just our collective sins, but your individual sins deserve, the entire cup being poured out on him. knowing that this was for the people who were about to do this to him, to you and I, who decide whether we're going to even lift our hands, whether we're even going to go to church. He's sweating blood thinking about paying for your sins just so you could be forgiven because you don't even know you need forgiveness. And he says the measure with which you forgive is the measure with which you will be forgiven so take your standard of what you require to forgive people and then apply it to yourself with God. If God held the same standard that you hold to forgive people, would you be forgiven? But we will hold things, we will hold things, hold things, hold things, and then we mess up and it's like, God, forgive me. 
What a beautiful name it is. <laughs> then we go home. Oh, oh, I don't mess with this person. This is what we do. But God will start get to give you perspective when you submit yourself to him to be able to see it. Because I have to see it in my own life. It's like there's always a level at which I'm going to be like, you know what? I'm not going to, I'm just not going to forgive this person. Mm-mm. I'm just not. This is too far. This is too much. I am justified in not forgiving you. You earned it. (laughs) And then I think about myself and when I need forgiveness from God, and I think about the story that Jesus tells of a man who owed a debt of like $5 million to a king, and he pleads, please forgive me, forgive me, forgive me. And the king releases him of his debt of $5 million, and he goes out, and he sees his boy on the road, and the Bible says he hems him up. Come on, bruh. You ain't think I would see you. You still owe me my money. I need my 500. Now. And then when the town people find out about it, they go and tell the king, and he's like, Five hundred? Five hundred? I forgave you a five million dollars. You're not talking about the dude that I forgave a five million dollars. Lock him up. Throw away the key. So you and I, we have no, no space to not forgive people. He says, the measure with which you forgive is the measure with which you will be forgiven. There's no negotiating that. It's not like, okay, God, but unless they do this, right? Okay, no. Because he doesn't say, oh, unless you do this. He doesn't say that to you. He says, it's available, it's paid for in full. Humility and forgiveness lay the foundation of a Christ-like life. On the contrary, pride and unforgiveness will always inhibit God's building process in your life. So as God is trying to build you into an image of himself, pride and unforgiveness will inhibit that building process. It will stop the building process. He can't Build if there's no foundation. But humility and forgiveness, I mean, these are core principles when you look at the life of Jesus and how he operated here when he came to earth. In his earthly life, in his earthly ministry, humility and forgiveness were some of the key things. Further, pride and unforgiveness will act as veils that dull the glory of God in your life. As we were talking about at the beginning, where Paul is saying, you can come before God with no veil over your face. 
pride, unforgiveness will act as a veil over your face. It will stand between you in your journey towards intimacy with God. God wants relationship with you. He wants to make you into his image. The Israelites, a lot of them settled for not knowing God. Moses went into the presence of God with nothing standing in between and allowed God to process him. And that scripture says that as we are in the presence of God, he's transforming us, transfiguring us into an image that directly reflects him. You have the choice on this journey to either trust the builder or to become your own builder. When you trust the builder, you'll trust the process because the process is to make you like the builder. Moses humbled himself under the mighty hand of God and allowed God to use his life to reflect him. We see Moses as a type and as a shadow of Jesus himself in the Old Testament, the image of a savior coming in and freeing people from bondage because he humbled himself and allowed God to use him for that purpose, to be a reflection of God's glory, of God's heart. And as you read about the life of Moses, he, God cultivated forgiveness in him all the time by dealing with millions of stubborn people who constantly turned away from God, who constantly turned away from instruction, and God cultivated forgiveness in Moses. And so tonight, as we close out, I want us to, to just pray, allow God to search our hearts in that area, in this foundation. What area of your life is this challenging in? What areas of your life has God been bringing to the surface of your mind as this message has been spoken? What has he been bringing to the forefront to say this piece is under construction? This piece is being processed. This trial is processing something in you to look like me. As you think about that, if you'll join me in prayer. Father, we thank you so much for your goodness, for your processing, God. Lord, we thank you that you would leave heaven and take on our stuff so that we could be forgiven of it. Lord, we thank you that we have the opportunity to go through processing that would make us look like you to where we don't have to walk around as statues in the image of God, Lord, but you are cultivating us to look like sons and daughters of God, that your Holy Spirit is at work in us, making us like you, transfiguring us, transforming us, changing how we look, changing how we speak, changing how we respond, changing how we live to look like you. Lord, we submit ourselves to that process tonight. We love you. We thank you. 
And Lord, for every single person in here who came in here not knowing you, Lord, I pray that you would begin to reveal yourself to them. And for those of you who are saying God's been revealing himself in this process, God's been revealing himself in this time tonight, I want to know Jesus, I want relationship with Jesus, I want you to raise your hand. as a public declaration of the decision you're about to make. Thank you. I want you to pray this prayer with me if you just raised your hand. A bunch of hands went up, you're not alone. Jesus, I thank you. I want everybody to repeat this prayer, I'm sorry. Repeat this prayer with everybody who just raised their hand. Jesus, I thank you. I believe that you are the son of God. I believe that you came to earth for me. I believe that you died on a cross for me. And I believe that you rose from the grave for me. I establish you as the leader of my life. I humble myself under you and I receive your forgiveness. I repent, I turn away from my sins and I establish you as my savior. Lord, I receive what you've done for me. I commit my life to you from this day forward, forever, in Jesus' name, amen. Can we make some noise for everybody who just made that decision? We celebrate you. Now we have something special about to happen. If you said that prayer just now, we're about to do something perfect for you. If you didn't say that prayer just now, we're about to do something perfect for you. And I'm gonna let Erskine announce it. Hey, thank you for listening. We're so glad to have you as a part of our community. If you wanna get connected any further, please visit fusionatl.org. You can get plugged into a small group there and you can also send in a prayer request so that we can pray for you. Once again, thanks for listening and thanks for being a part of Fusion ATL.